We were good, like really, really good. We went to the NCAA tournament every year. My freshman year, I think we went to the Sweet 16, but we were really, really good. We had NBA players on our team. Or the high school I was at in Cincinnati was pretty rough inner city school and uh yeah. you you won't as a teacher like it's crazy to say and it's really sad to say when you're at an inner city school at least where i was you won't get through a year without a kid dying i didn't want to do a disservice to the kids that i was teaching on a day-to-day -day basis because it just was not for me but he it was a bad bad situation like he had to be rushed into the hospital for his to basically cut open his head like i think that's part of the reason i jumped from job to job is because i did not like being uh managed Hey everyone, welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, it's gonna to be a little bit different of an episode. I'm actually gonna spend this next 20, 30 minutes interviewing Ron and his background, what he's gone through to get to where he is today. And he, he's been a teacher, he's been in sales, he's been a basketball coach. And along with that, he had a whole childhood of experiences. And like I said in the last episode, if you guys listened to that, it's we, we weren't born into the freedom that we have now. So we have very, very similar journeys to what you guys have and you guys looking for freedom or who are land flipping and come in and want to quit their job or whatever it is. Welcome to the show, Ron. Yeah, excited to do this, Dan. I think this will kind of give you guys an insight, whatever. Some of you guys are going to be be able to relate better with my story, some with Daniel's. And uh, I think just kind of give a perspective what we've come through. It hasn't been easy, but at the same time, it's uh, been rewarding and the journey has been fun. Cool. Well, let's let's start with just describing your childhood from from an early day. Yeah. So... As a kid, I was really quiet. Like I wasn't like a outgoing kid. I wasn't overly social. I had a small group of friends and that's how I kind of just, I got along really well with a small group of friends. I didn't really go outside of that, to be honest with you. Um, our mom was a stay at home mom. So it was a lot with, I was kind of a mama's boy, I think growing up. School was, uh, school was pretty easy for me. Most of my childhood, it just Math, I did really well at. Reading, I kind of struggled with, Dan. But um, overall, school was pretty easy. I was just a normal kid. I wasn't, I didn't get in trouble. Um, I didn't, I just did, did well in school. Just worked hard in school. Just knew what I needed to do. Got my grades. Uh, did some things with entrepreneurship, selling stuff on the playground, stuff like that that I liked. But uh, the main thing I did was like, I loved competition in terms of like that's the only thing i remember growing up honestly is competing in everything and having two other brothers one older one younger it's just a younger one you're supposed to beat every time an older one when you do beat um in something you're you're not expected to win or whatever but everything with us was a competition whether it was i don't know just everything so that's the main things honestly what about um playing sports yeah so i played basketball Pretty much since I was, I don't know, second, third grade, I played basketball up till when I graduated. Never really got into other sports. I played football a couple of years, but I was overly, overly small, and I just, yeah, I just struggled. I struggled with football. Football is hard. I was young for my grade, so that's one thing when I go into like socially when I talk about that is my birthday's in June, and I was younger. I was eight, nine months younger. It doesn't sound like a lot right now, but when you're ten years old, and then everyone else is eleven years old and 10 months older, like it made a big difference for me. And I did grow late. So sports, I, I loved basketball. I love basketball, but I was, I always tell everyone this, I was under five feet going into high school. Like I was four eleven, and I'm playing against five, eight, five, nine. People. Yeah. Yeah. And then you played in high school basketball, played in high school. And then I went into, we can talk about after that. I went to a uh, university of Cincinnati. I was a manager for four years there. What, what got you to, so you went to high school and you played basketball there all four years. Mm-hmm. And what got you to decide to be uh, 
first off, you went to University of Cincinnati and uh, went down the traditional route. You started in chemistry and kind of talk about your college experience. Yeah, so college, I started to open up a little more. Like socially, I bigger group, bigger group of friends. I did. I was what's called a manager for a un, University of Cincinnati men's basketball team. We were top ten, top fifteen team most of my career there. But it was we did everything the players did in terms of going to every single practice, going to every single game, working every game. Um, it was a good experience because I met so many people. I saw high level people. I saw I don't know. I got to meet a ton of people. There, these coaches that are just grinding, and coaching is a grind. But they also loved what they were doing, and I remember that. And then just being around the players, the guys like these guys are freaks of nature in terms yeah. of their size, their athleticism, six eight, and they can move like a five ten person in high school. Like they're just different people in terms of that. Um, but that, that was good. College, I met a lot of people. I tried to really meet people, not just outside, like just different people. I had a small group of friends. And that's when you go to college, when you're from a city. I went to University of Cincinnati. I'm from Cincinnati. So you know a lot of people, but I really tried to put an effort to meeting people outside of obviously your high school friends. I think that's why you kind of went outside also. Like you would have been miserable in Cincinnati. Like you just need to get away from those people that you're around all the time. And while I was at the same university as a lot of them, I really tried to like spread out and not just like be with them. What, what in the, um, your four years as the manager at, at UC, what, uh, it was four years, right? Yep. What, what do you think you learned from that, that you still kind of feel today? Is there anything specific? Um, trying to think uh, that's a real job for those who don't yeah. know like Ron, like you're working you're going to practice for free for free right and um i don't know if you got a scholarship or a partial scholarship any of the years so i know some managers do at times but it's free it's yeah. free work and you do it and it's work it's like a volunteer job essentially but you got to wake up at the same time the kids wake up and go and do all that 6 a.m 12 p.m all this different stuff that you're doing traveling around getting on the planes getting on the buses yep. and going around it is a full-time job so if anything maybe like some work ethic. yeah so I was, uh, yeah, so I got freshman year, 100% uh, volunteer, everything like that. And nothing's guaranteed, like no scholarships guaranteed. I think sophomore year, I got 25%. Then I ended up as you gained 40 and 50% my junior and senior year, which is awesome. Like that's a lot of money. Um, but that being said, it was never because of that. But like you're saying, like the accountability, I think is the number one thing. If anything during a practice is missing, it's on us. If, it, if a player on the road, um, doesn't have a pair of shoes that they want or they want a second pair of shoes that's on us if you forget jerseys like that was a legitimate fear for managers as a basketball like if a jersey you see those games where players are playing in practice jerseys that's because the manager <laughs> forgot the jerseys or something like that um so just everything the accountability that we had for being 18 19 year olds was huge i think because like these are nationally televised games we we're bringing everything for it and something went wrong it was on us even yeah. if it wasn't on uh, yeah. our fault they're the team managers so you're organizing yeah. a lot of the things behind the scenes that people don't see um, when they're just watching a game but you had some really really good seasons there uh talk about the atmosphere like the winning culture of some of the, i mean yeah. you guys had you, I, you were probably ranked in the top five at times yeah i would imagine with some of those teams yeah. and going in the biggest title too right mm -hmm. Yeah, so we were uh, we were good, like really, really good. We went to the NCAA tournament every year. Um, my freshman year, I think we went to the Sweet 16, but we were really, really good. We had NBA players on our team. Being around, like, Mick Cronin was the head coach when I was there, who he's at UCLA now. He is just a, like, a winner. Like, he is, he, it doesn't matter who he has on his team, he's going to find a way to win. And, like, the 
work ethic he had, he is a Western Cincinnati guy, which is like known for like the blue collar, like hard nose type of people. Um, just being around that all the time. And it goes top down in any organization, whether it's business or what goes top down. And he was the top guy in terms of basketball and everyone kind of all the way to the manager and below us, every kind everything kind of scaled down. Interesting. And so you went to, uh, you won a big East title. Um, and you also went to March madness multiple years as yep. well. Did you go to March madness? Yeah, I went to, uh, yeah, I went to a few years, my senior year, we went out to Washington and lost, um, to Harvard. So I went to that one year, but traveling with them on planes, really cool. Like, these are private jets you get to go on in terms of with these giant 6'10", 6'11 guys. So it's, it gets really tight really fast when you start having people take up two and three seats. But just traveling with them, doing all that stuff, you're just it's a different type of person that you're... How intense were those the big tournaments? Big tournaments were like you felt it from, again, like you feel it from the top down. If the coach, if the head guys, not necessarily stress, I want to say stress, but like we're ready to go. Like this it's is the time. Big, it's the time. Yeah, it's time to go. You need to play your best basketball. You need to be the best uh, in March in basketball when that's that's when the NCAA tournament is. So like it's all building up to that. And it's intense. Like every practice, it's kind of like when Cincinnati Xavier Week. Cincinnati Xavier Week there, especially with Mick. Because Cincinnati he's, and Xavier are in the same city, and it's one of, it's a big rivalry in college huge, basketball for those who don't absolutely know. huge rivalry. They're four miles away from each like, other. Like like our freshman year, we got in a fight, um, fist fight. Cincinnati and Xavier Ron was out there punching people. Yeah, and we <laughs> and we uh, the this rivalry got canceled for like two years or something. So like it is a huge huge rivalry, and that week in general, like building up to that week is it's like nothing like you can imagine, like the intensity of it. Yeah, losing that game is not okay. Yeah, and they've been losing a lot. But <laughs> other than that, though, um, yeah, that's a really good experience in terms of just seeing a competitive winning culture. I'm sure that affects your day-to-day more than you probably realize. Um, that's really, really cool experience. Talk about after after that, you um, graduated, obviously, and what, what was your degree? So I graduated with a chemistry degree. Um, I So initially, I went into college wanting to be a pharmacist. And that was just a money thing. Like I see pharmacists making money. It's not some doctorate where you have to be, in, or it's not so some MD where you have to be in school for 12 years. It's a six year degree, I believe four plus two. And that's what I went into a couple years in, I was working at a pharmacy. I'm, I'm not doing this. So I just, what can I graduate with fast? And I wanted to be around basketball still. Like that was a passion of mine. And that's why I did chemistry. And I knew I could get a teacher's degree, teacher's license from there. So that's what my route was, was to go be a high school science teacher. And more importantly to myself at that point was to coach. be a basketball coach. Yeah. Okay. So you got a chemistry degree thinking you're going to coach. You graduate. Um, what's your path like now? So I, I apply for this fellowship for a teaching certificate because right now I just, or at that point, I just have a chemistry degree. I can't just teach with a chemistry degree. So you need to get a teacher certificate. I applied for this fellowship. It was a crazy path in terms of that application. I had to go in person. I had to go teach lessons to some random groups of people multiple times. So I'm like going around and like, this is a $30,000 fellowship. They'll pay for that. And I also get money. So my, the master's program that I was in would cost like 15 grand and they would pay me 15 grand essentially as well. So I did that. I got accepted in that, which was pretty difficult. And then I did an internship that first year when I was in a part of that fellowship. And that's when I was at an inner city school, which was a learning experience in itself. Yeah. Um, so you you taught in multiple inner city schools at some points, right? No. So I just I, I went around to some. But Withrow or the high school I was at in Cincinnati was pretty rough inner city school. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I did that for a full year under another working under another teacher as a I forget what you call it. And you were and, coaching? Yeah, I was coaching Withrow then. 
you were coaching freshmen. Yeah. Basketball. I remember yeah. you have pictures. I have pictures of yeah. around 20, 22 years old sitting down there coaching. Um, and then after that, so you did that fellowship and then you got a real teaching I got a teaching job. So then I got a full-time teaching job at another school that was middle of the pack. I wouldn't say it was a, it's definitely not inner city, inner city, like with the inner city, Dan, like you, you won't as a teacher, like it's crazy to say, and it's really sad to say when you're at an inner city school, at least where I was, you won't get through a year without a kid dying. Uh, like you just won't in terms of like having a kid that you actually taught. I had one die and I had one that was put away. He's still in jail today, I believe. So like you have people who Jeez. like it, it happens every single year and it's very, it's sad with those schools, but uh, going to my full-time teaching, I did chem, I was coaching junior varsity basketball t at this next school and a uh, chemistry science teacher. And you were coaching still? Yes. So you went from coaching the inner city to coaching? Yes. A more affluent but yeah low low lower middle class i would say yeah. what was the difference between what you saw like coaching obviously you're the coach now so it's different yeah but coaching that versus the coaching in college um the actual basketball wise just the culture everything just completely different in terms of like understanding uh it's not that much different of an age it's like not person. no it's crazy like you have 17 18 year olds versus 18 19 year olds 20 year olds and um yeah, it's just you see it from freshman in college, though. It's very comparable to the freshman in college. Yeah. But like these these 17 year olds that I was coaching in high school, like they have a lot of maturing to do. It's it's a completely different like you have to baby them a little more. You got to make sure they're getting their stuff done. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not that much different. The basketball is obviously lower level than when you're at a high, high D1. But other than that, like, I don't know. I enjoyed both of them. They both had their interesting parts. How do you break in a, a new freshman basketball player at a university like what what's gonna happens because obviously it's a huge yeah. change it's a huge shift they went from being top dog to low dog yeah so there's a big mental thing how, how are they broken in it's a you need to like shock them you need to follow their ass to class like we would uh when i was i i coached another college down the line when i was actually a coach not a manager and we would follow them to class we would just do everything like making sure and you need to find not necessarily find reasons to get on them but there's almost always a reason to warrant like they are by themselves for the first time ever so if you just let them be by themselves bad stuff is going to happen every single time pretty much so you need to you need to take reins of it you need to shock them with the culture we had a very strict culture in terms of what we were trying to grow them into so that was like that was the number one thing it's just like holding them accountable making sure they're accountable yeah, I'm sure, especially like these guys who are the biggest guys that ever gone through their high school. Like the D Cincinnati is a big D1 school, and they've had really good years in national championships. 100%. And they come, and they're so good in high school. They have all these offers. They're the big dog, and then they come. And like the juniors and seniors on the team are looking down at them like they're nothing now. Yeah. You know, they went from that to being nothing. So I'm sure, sure there's some tension at times. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you definitely have that for sure at times uh, as far as the younger guys with the older guys. Um they get used to it though. It's crazy. And we've talked about it in terms of like business, like like thing, you right? have freshmen come in, like yeah. you, you hire a 22 year old at college. They're a freshman in our business and freshmen, like it, they can freshman to sophomore year is a huge, huge jump. First year to second year in a business is a huge, huge jump. And you just got to break them in and find out if it's going to work. Like, uh, unfortunately in college, a lot of players, it doesn't work out for a lot of players cause they just don't a cultural. Fit. Yeah. It's just not a culture fit. Same it's hard. Recruiting kids is hard. Like it is hard to find out who kids actually are. And a lot of times you don't find it out until their freshman year, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, just like business, you can do all the things you want to try to get them there. But then once they're there, it's kind of in their hands. Hundred percent. Things happen, obviously going from there. So you're coaching, you're doing the teaching. 
Um, and then what, what happened next? How long did you teach for and where'd you go to after? Yeah. So I did the internship a year and I taught myself a year. And honestly, like after that point, like I was, I wasn't a coach. I wasn't a coach. I was a teacher. And at that point I was like, this isn't, this isn't really for me to be a hundred percent honest. And I didn't want to do a disservice to the kids that I was teaching on a day-to-day basis. I, I was a hundred percent all in when I was there, but I just wanted, I just needed to break ties from that because it just was not for me. Teachers, I have a ton of respect for teachers that like more probably than I did initially, but, uh, it's, it's hard. Like it's a hard thing and you need to have a passion for it to deal with some of the stuff you have to deal with. And I'm sure it's worse now than it was eight years ago when I stopped teaching nine years ago when I stopped teaching. But, uh, I I just knew it wasn't for me. If it's not a 30 year, if I'm not going to be doing it in 30 years, I'm not going to do it for another 30 minutes. Yeah. So then where'd you go when you quit? So I went to a company called Total Quality Logistics and I did sales. Um, I did inside sales for just about two years there. Uh, made really good money. It was a top, I don't know, top 1% really for my class in terms of that, in terms of like they bring in a whole bunch of people, but I was top 1%. I made good money there. I was grinding it out, cold calling. I loved it. I learned a lot of, it's just a good, cool environment. Like it was a cutthroat environment for sales. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't hit your numbers, okay. It's bye. known to be that. 100%. Yeah. yeah. You guys have probably have a lot of people listening. Talk have one in their city. Shock, people go in there and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, you have a good training program, everything like that. They're, they're a big, big company and they, but you need to hit your numbers. Like once it comes to you have three, four or five months, then you need to start hitting your numbers on a weekly, monthly basis. And if you don't like, it's just, it's a clean cut. It's nothing too complicated. Honestly, it's just hit your numbers or that's how their sales is. And that's how they've always been. It's a make it or break it. And do you think that that way they kind of managed over there has influenced you today? Yeah, I would say so. Like I'm a numbers guy. I still am a numbers guy. Like you got to hit your numbers, whether it's, uh, having a salesperson who's supposed to hit a certain amount of calls or having a, uh, media person on our team who's supposed to make a certain amount of content every week, like just having expectations. And that's what I had there. Like I had very clear expectations and I just, you just make it happen. And the mindset there, it's not an excuse thing. It's nothing like that. You don't try to make excuses. You just have to hit the numbers. So I think that has bled over quite a bit, probably more than I realized, honestly, because how cutthroat of an environment it was. Yeah. And how long were you there? I was there two years. Two years. Okay. So you go through sales. So you went from chemistry teaching and basketball coach (laughs) to sales at a cutthroat sales organization, making good money. And then what's your next step? From there, I, um, I worked for my dad briefly for, uh, he has a carpet cleaning company and I did some sales, uh, for a couple months there. And that was like a bridge thing. And I was talking to my girlfriend, my wife at the time. And I always had a passion for coaching. Like you guys hearing me talk, like I had a passion for coaching and I literally said like, I want to coach college basketball. Like that's what I loved. I wanted to coach college basketball. Uh, my girlfriend wife at the time was hundred percent all in. Like it didn't matter where I got a job. And she said that like, just start, just start reaching out to people. And I was literally just probably, I don't know, probably 500 emails then I'd say to people. And I just was asking to be a volunteer, which isn't as easy as it sounds, honestly, (laughs) because like it, they still have to baby, like they're still, you're on their staff and they're responsible for you, even if you're a volunteer. And and it's a high demand. A hundred percent. You have all these 22 year olds who are coming out of college and like, they're saying, go work for free for a year. How many people would work uh, for companies like Google and all these other companies for free as as interns, similar concept. And I had the money to from the sales job, I had money to, I know, live for a couple of years. Um, so I was, I was comfortable doing that. I knew the sacrifice. I knew the potential reward if everything did work out. And I found a landing spot in South Carolina, a division two school. And I remember one day the coach emailed me and he asked like, 
yeah, I would love to, or we talked on the phone for a little bit. And then he asked me like when I can come down there to meet him. I'm like, then I just lied. And I just said, I'm not saying lie, but I said, yeah, I'll be down in that way in that area for another interview. I said that, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be down in that area for another interview or I need to go to another interview is what I said. So I'll be down in a week or something. So we set something up and I literally, I obviously the whole time, I don't know if he knows to this day, honestly, he thought I was going to Florida after I went from Cincinnati to South Carolina, he thought I was going to Florida for another interview, but I literally just turned around the same day. So I went from Cincinnati to South Carolina, 10 hours and went back the same day. I think I got about seven hours back. I couldn't make it all the way, but, um, I did that. We clicked. And then three months later, I moved to South Carolina, maybe a month later, honestly, I moved to South Carolina. This was fast. And this is going for, um, you've been in Cincinnati your whole life up to this point. Yeah. I was 29. And then you go to, Coker University, which is a small town. In yeah, 10,000 people, yeah. What's the city called? Hartsville. Hartsville, South Carolina. So small city, uh, southern, south, and go to a university to coach basketball. What was that change like? I was always like, I, I got accepted into colleges outside of Cincinnati, and I just like, I was not ready to leave home, to be 100% honest. Not actually the physical aspect of being in my mom's house or anything like that. I wasn't that. But uh, I just wasn't ready to leave the city. And like, I don't for some reason... Maybe it was Kayla, my wife, or maybe it was something. I don't know what it was, but I was just, I was ready to go. Um, so it just it didn't affect me much. Like it was a culture shock. I think being in the South, being in a ten thousand person city, uh, I, I don't know. I just felt right to me. I'd never like questioned the move ever. Was it sad? Yeah, for sure. I was there for twenty eight years, whatever it was, twenty seven years, and uh, but I was never like it was a very brief thing in terms of that. Yeah, and then and I loved what I was going to chase. Right. I loved basketball. You're good playing bat or you're coaching basketball. Um, and then you go as the assistant. You got the assistant coaching job, correct? Yep. So he ends up being an assistant coaching uh, coach at Coker University for a while. How long did you do that? I did that for two years. Talk about your experience doing that and what you learned, because obviously that's a leadership position. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's me and two other coaches. Me, my other, our other assistant, and the head coach. We did not have some huge staff or anything like that. It was different than Cincinnati. We're driving buses. We're recruiting. We're driving hours and hours on weekends to go see high schoolers play basketball, junior college kids play basketball. But um, it was awesome. Like the head coach was. He gave me a lot being a volunteer. Like it wasn't like I was a volunteer and the other assistant wasn't a volunteer, which he wasn't. It was just like we were both his assistant coaches and he had so much trust in me. I think coming from Cincinnati, we were a huge defensive minded team when I was manager at Cincinnati and being a manager, I wasn't just worrying about shoes and jerseys. I was learning like I was learning every practice in with one of the best defensive coaches in the country. Uh, So he really trusted me. Our head coach at Coker really trusted me in terms of the defensive stuff. And I don't know. I just, I just loved it. I clicked with the players. Uh, I, I learned a ton how to manage players, how to do juggle. I think juggling, Dan, is one of the biggest things. Is I was juggling so many darn things being an assistant. Like we were, we were the managers for a team. We were the everything for the team as assistants, and we just tried to make the head coach's job easier. And then on top of that, we had to do recruiting. We had to do scouting. We had to do everything. And coaching has impacted the way you manage today. I think so for sure. Um, I relate back to coaching quite a bit. I understand because a lot of the kids are some, a lot of people we hire are similar, similar ages, honestly, like 22, 24. Not that I was coaching that old of people unless they're seniors, but a lot, it's a similar age group. I understand their mindset. I understand kind of what they're going through. And uh, I think it's, I think it's brought a lot into business. Yeah. So you do that. um, How long were you coached down there for? Two years. You're there for two years, and um, 
describe your second year because I know a lot happened and you had to step up. Yeah, so that was actually my first year. So my first year, we were in uh, Charleston for a game against College of Charleston, and our head coach actually had a stroke in the pregame, in our locker room pregame, which was... It was obviously traumatic in terms of just the situation, but he it was a bad, bad situation. Like he had to be rushed into the hospital for his to basically cut open his head. Like they had to he was rushed into brain surgery. If he was any farther from a hospital, he wouldn't be here today. But luckily we're not in Hartsville, South Carolina, where Coker is. We're in Charleston, very close to a very, very high end hospital. And he was able to make it through that, but he was not able to coach the rest of the year. And this was probably, it was December. It was early December. So we still have three months more of the season. So me, myself, and the other assistant coach take on basically running the team. The other assistant was the main head coach, and I was his, obviously, first and only assistant. So I went from being like a second assistant volunteer type to like, I, there's a ton of responsibility. We're now playing, I'm coaching against the D1 team and I, it's me and one other guy coaching against College of Charleston. Who weren't so, planning for that. No, we definitely weren't, weren't planning for the game, but not to be the head coach. Oh yeah, we definitely weren't planning on, uh, yeah, neither of us were ready like ready for that. We got thrown in the fire, we competed that game. Uh, we were obviously hoping and praying that Coach Merrill, our head coach was okay, everything like that. But uh, going forward that whole season, it was it was crazy. We had players. We ended. We probably got rid of five or six players mm-hmm. over the year that we just either they weren't fits for the team, but we cut players from the team during the season because one they weren't players we recruited, and it just they were not future. A lot of them were JUCO kids that had issues, and like we we just couldn't. Like they had a lot of issues. Like we lost quite a few players that year. Yeah, which is another like really good leadership experience to kind of see that change. It's the same thing as firing someone. Yeah, it's like this isn't and it's different when it's a kid in college, but like it just the team would not have worked moving forward keeping these from a culture standpoint. 100%. Like it would would have fallen apart like very, very fast. That's what me and the assistant were talking about. Like the other assistant who was the head coach then is like we just couldn't keep going forward like this. And we had to make some hard, hard decisions to keep the team moving forward. So going from there, um, so you had that year where you had to step up and roll and kind of thrown in the fire. What was your, um, we haven't talked much about entrepreneurship. Let's start (laughs) wrapping that into this a little bit. What was your first entrepreneurship role? I guess let's start back, like, and what part of this process and journey? Yeah, I mean, me and you did things when we were both in Cincinnati around in our 20s and stuff in terms of flipping stuff on eBay, doing stuff like that. Um, Going into this, like the second year at Coker, that's when you reached out about land investing. And that's when like I fully like I always knew like I think that's part of the reason I jumped from job to job is because I did not like being uh, managed. Yeah, I did not like the lack of freedom that working for someone else does. Even in a job like sales, like I, I went towards sales because like you get some freedom in sales typically. But obviously, like I said, that was a cutthroat place. And once I hit my numbers, I did get more freedom. I was able to work remotely or work kind of when I wanted. But um, yeah, I mean, you reached out about land investing. I just, it just clicked for me, honestly. And it just made sense the way you're talking about. You had a couple of your mentors who were talking about land investing. And I just, it just made sense. I, I knew my wife was pregnant at the time. It was my second year coaching essentially for free. I made a little bit of money at Coker, but essentially for free as my second year coaching. I'm like, I got to make some money now. Entrepreneurship sounds amazing land investing sounded good from what you're saying. So we just kind of dove all in, learned what we could, took action immediately. And we built it up pretty darn fast. Honestly, I remember taking phone calls on the bus, like driving a bus full of 
maybe I shouldn't have been doing this, but I was driving a bus full of 10, 12, 6, 8 guys. And I I remember taking calls from county. I remember it was weekly county, Tennessee, and they were they called me to complain that people in the county were getting mm-hmm. these letters. Complaints, yeah. And I was like talking to the person at the county about these complaints and like trying to ease their mind. Like we weren't doing anything illegal. We were just reaching out about people's land. I wasn't trying to take any land. I was just making offers on people's land, which is what we still do today. Yeah. Um, but uh, I remember taking those calls and it was, it was a lot coaching basketball, having a family and the land, but I never really thought twice about it. Yeah. Cause you, you had a full-time job plus more like you were recruiting on the road, doing yeah. all that driving, going to games, coaching coaches don't work 40 hours and then family. Yeah. It's not a 40 hour job. It's <laughs> much, much more than that. The way, the way they're doing it. Um, talk about how, uh, like the entrepreneurship and coaching align, like you were a coach full time and then you go into entrepreneurship and it's kind of similar uh, roles almost in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think both of them you get kind of like you have a lot of responsibility in terms of like freedom and doing stuff, freedom like what what do we need to do to move something forward? Uh, you're obviously managing people in coaching and in entrepreneurship if you have employees. So I think that it's just a lot of it's just the work ethic, honestly. Like I said, like it was not 40-hour weeks coaching. It was 60, 80-hour weeks. And it was Thanksgiving. It was Christmas Eve practices. It was everything. Like you, when you could imagine you don't want to be somewhere else other than your house, I was somewhere else other than my house. And I would come home and I would price mail and I'd do that stuff. And it just felt like it just felt like something else. Like it didn't feel like it never felt like I was doing too much. Like even with the land, which is another full time job in itself. But uh, yeah, I, I think they just the work ethic of it kind of intertwined really well. And up to this point, though, you talked about some other entrepreneurship things you've done in the past. You owned real estate by this time as well a little bit, right? Yeah, me and you bought a rental property in uh, Cincinnati 20, I don't know when it was, but we bought a rental property, a salon, uh, a salon slash apartment. And that was uh, that was maybe my only piece of real estate before getting into land, I think. Maybe okay. I had one other apartment building. Yeah. Okay. So you had one. Uh, and I bought my house in Hartsville. And the reason you got into land is because the money and the freedom that you saw. Yeah, I think it was. I just wanted something, honestly. It was entrepreneurship. I wanted, whether it was land or something else, I was going to find something entrepreneurship. I, I just think most entrepreneur like it would just, it would have came, I think, at some point. And I would have realized whether it was, if I had to get another job in between after coaching and between my next entrepreneurship journey, whatever it was, but land just made a ton of sense. And the margins and the time I could put while I was coaching basketball and still make money in land was very, very You can make a lot of money for not. 100%. Yeah, I was working 70 hours, legit 70 hours every single week with basketball. And I knew I could still make three, four or $500,000. Yeah, land. yeah, exactly. Um, and, and up to this point, I'd been doing a lot of research on land and uh, knew that I wanted to get in it. And I saw you wanted the money and we kind of uh, um, formed that partnership between us uh, to start the business work together and kind of partner up, which a lot of people also do in the community. Talk about like the, the first six months or so of land investing, because now you're doing basketball, you're coaching, you're doing all this stuff. Talk about the first six months or so of your entrepreneurship journey. It was a grind. Like it was constant learning, constant, uh, adjusting, I think. And looking back and I know I did this, I, I probably let my foot off the gas in terms of the basketball a little bit. And it, it was a weird time, honestly, with all that. And I, I wish I handled that a little better. Cause it was two things that were a lot, but I like I even had a talk with the head coach. I'm like, my wife's pregnant. Like, I, I wanted to finish that season. I would finish as strong as I possibly could. I was doing all my responsibilities. But, like, that 
it was a little different than the first year when I was over the top. Like I was everywhere. I was doing everything. And I think I kind of let it slip. Like when sometimes when you try to do two things full, like you kind of half one thing. And I, I don't, I don't want to say I halved it or anything like that, but, um, it was difficult in terms of the balancing because I knew what I wanted in land. I knew what I wanted. I knew what I what I didn't want, Dan, is to never work for someone else. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Anyone who's done land investing and had a nine to five yeah. probably felt the same way. As yeah. Someone. Yeah. And you try to, yeah. It's, Especially it's once you start seeing the money. 100%. And you had a family coming with yeah. very little income. So I was, yeah, I was living in a... I was living in Hartsville still, obviously, where the university is. I had a house. It was a small mortgage, nothing crazy. We had a son, and then we had a daughter on the way. So it was like, and I made $0 my second year. The first year when our coach had a stroke, I made $5,000. This is 100% accurate. The AD came to me, like, since since uh, your head coach won't be there, like, we'll give you guys five you $5,000 this year. I'm like, sure. I was excited about it, honestly. And I was working 70 hours a week. And uh, the next year, I didn't get paid a dime literally zero dollars and it's just like it wore on me i think it definitely yeah. t- took a toll for sure and like i knew what i didn't want to do and i was running away from the idea of having to work for someone i was going to do another sales job going to do whatever mm. i did not want that getting ahead of that yeah yeah especially with the family coming i, I had a time there's a it was a ticking it was like there's a timer on this like there's a time when if we weren't making enough money in land, I would have to get a job. I mean, yeah, and there comes the point, and then you start seeing land do well and start flipping some properties, um, which I want you to talk about a little bit, like our, our first six months, not balancing the two, but our actual first six months doing it, some of the obstacles we came on. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot once you start making money and you're in something else and you slowly start pulling mm-hmm. the, ga- the foot off the pedal, like you said, a little bit. I mean, I was in a sales role and felt that. I mean, you start tripling, quadrupling, 10xing your income. Yep. Um, and it's, you look at things a little bit differently and it's just, it, it happens. Yeah. It, it's, it's impossible to kind of, and it's just a communication. That's what I focus on is communication with my head coach. So I can just be as transparent with him as possible. But, uh, yeah, those first six months were, it was a grind. Like we made a lot of expensive, expensive mistakes. We never doubted. That's the one thing, like and Dan and I bounce things. Like if one of us are feeling down about something, like one of the other person picks it up and we really bounce things off really well in terms of that and kind of one one if one pulls down the other picks up but overall like our mindset towards this business never wavered there are tons of mistakes with mail i remember we sent mail and put the wrong addresses on it so we had a bunch of random people getting addresses or offers for Mm -hmm. land that they didn't own so just a ton of mistakes we sent a lot of mail without much without much success at one point, like we sent a lot of mail without much success. Then we've made like 10 grand on a deal and then 20 grand on a deal and then 30 grand on a deal. And at that point I was thinking about either moving back to Cincinnati or moving to Florida. I remember Daniel called me. He's like, I think you can afford coming to Florida now. Um, <laughs> that's what he, that. cause this is when he just moved to Florida. And you said that to me cause I was thinking about Florida or Tampa or Cincinnati essentially, or moving to a nicer spot of South Carolina. And I, I remember Daniel called me, and I think we bought it was the Adams County, Ohio land with the uh, that Matt sold, and it was with the cat, with the horse in, on it. And Daniel called me like, "Yeah, I think we can. Uh, you can uh, move to Florida now because <laughs> we made thirty grand on a deal." <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. That's funny though. We do one deal. That's how we were though. Like all we it's needed so exciting. to do is like, see, yeah, one deal is so so exciting. Our first property ever, we bought and sold for a fi- bought for five and sold for fifteen, and we thought it was like a home run. Um, but it's cool, like seeing the journey pan out. What's uh, kind of let's get into what's next for you. So we started the land investing online and the educational yep. platform and doing all that now. And how's that transition been? I love it. Like I really like helping other people. I like partnering with other people on deals. 
building the brand around it, I think is really cool. Like the community, the people we have come to our community, the people that join our program week in and week out, just impress the crap out of me. Like their vision, their understanding of what this business is, is what I love so much seeing. Like there are some, and then they know what they want also. Like a lot of people, we, at some point, like you'll have people who come in, like they don't really understand and they just expect things to be given. But like these people right now, like it is really, really cool to see the types of people we have coming in our community. And like, you just know the future with them. Like they are going to be leaders in the land space and they're going to take on huge, huge deals. They, they see, they hear us talk about million dollar deals and they don't like, they don't waver. Like they don't think twice about it. Like, yeah, that's possible. They know it's possible. Other people, they hear million dollar deal and like, they will just like, that's not possible for me. Yeah. yeah. There's a big mindset, uh, huge. I think a ton of people are coming in with a very wide mindset in terms of what they can do in this business. I completely agree. Yeah. That's one of the most <laughs> rewarding things for me as well as, um, if you guys listen to the last episode, what, um, I guess, are, are, are you stopping here? Like, is land investing the the future? Or do you have future plans? Or what's uh, your vision for, for you going forward? Yeah, I mean, I'm always going to invest in land because I understand it. Like, I think if you go away from what you know and understand, it's stupid. Like, I think people who... Best ROI you can get. Yeah, if I... Like, why... I'm not saying... I'm going to only flip land for the rest of my life, but I'm going to always invest in land if I can find good deals. Because a couple of things we know how to do from what we do is how to get land under market value and how to evaluate land. Yeah. And there are very, very few people in the country that can do this um, as far as have the education to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I a hundred percent plan on that building other companies, building a team. I, I I've really enjoyed building a team around us, building, a media team around us, building our transaction coordinators, amazing. All of our, our team's amazing. Building, hiring people overseas, bringing those people in and building the culture around yeah. our company. Like it's multiple companies. Like we have Land Investing Line, we have AppKey Land, and then we're building a tech company right now. And they all inter, inter, intertwine with each other. And just the idea of building companies is exciting to me. Awesome. What, um, I don't have anything else really <clears throat> to add here. Did I cover everything all right on your life, your journey? Yeah, I think so. What about, uh, what advice do you have for people who are stuck and don't know where to go or they just don't know what first step to make? Someone who just feels stuck in life and yeah. and they're frustrated. And I think we kind of said this last episode. It's just like, you just got to make a step forward. Like, I don't know. It's just too many people think too much about little things and then don't move forward at all. Overthink it. Like if you want to start a podcast, get a mic and start a podcast. So many people are like thinking about their podcast name and their this, that, what, what are they going to do if this happens? There's, there's not that many factors in a lot of stuff in life. And I think that's why so many people, like, unfortunately we have people join our program who don't do anything. Yeah. Like that's the sad truth of it. Like, I, I don't know if it's 20%. I don't know if it's 10%. Yeah. And then that people ask us our success rate. And I'm like, well, I don't know of the people who, a lot of people don't take action. The people who take action are very, very successful in this business. A lot of people view them buying a course as taking action. It's not. It's no, just how it's <coughs> the start to take action. You still got to execute on the plan. Hundred percent, and yeah. that that's the biggest that's thing, funny. guys. Is you just got you got to move the move the ball forward every day as much as possible, um, and get started. Like there's that that's the thing Hormozy says is like you don't really know what you need to do. Like you just got to do something sometimes. Yeah, and you're not gonna know how to flip land without making some mistakes. Like you cannot go start a business without making mistakes. It's exactly. going to happen. We made a huge financial mistake with uh with uh, the land portal, but it's fine. Like it's just in terms of 
the data we didn't buy. We spent fifty, sixty thousand dollars, and uh, we just we just made the wrong decision. It cost us, but the advantage is changing that decision fast. Yeah, in time, like time. Yeah, in time. The, like yeah. okay, we made a mistake. Let's go to the. Let's just change our route and let's move forward. What's your uh, What's your favorite show of all time? Favorite show of all time. Probably Breaking Bad. I think I you're gonna say Dexter. Oh, I like Dexter too. <laughs> Probably Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad and Dexter, I really like. Um, recently, I love Arrested Development, The Office. Mm-hmm. Those, are, those are good. And the Office, it's not on Netflix anymore though, so I can't watch it. Yeah, cool. Well, I want to throw that in there so to be a little bit different. <laughs> Hope you guys learned from this episode and learned from Ron's story. As you saw, he went from being a chemistry teacher. Uh, to sales, to basketball, and as a volunteer, and then to land, and now obtaining that freedom, and now he's educating people and starting a software company and all that stuff. So definitely wasn't given to you, Ron. Um, that's what like some people come in and comment and think everything's kind of given. This was earned, just like Daddy's selling money. our first properties. <laughs> yeah, the Daddy's money. Um, as always, guys, thank you so much for joining. Please like and subscribe our YouTube channel. It really helps drive our mission forward. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next episode. Thanks, guys. As always, thank you for joining. Please do us a huge favor and like and subscribe our YouTube channel and share this with a friend. It really means the world to Ron and I, but more importantly, it could help change the life of someone else. Thanks for joining and we'll see you next episode.